0: Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, download the Overflow Church app or visit our website, overflowdfw.com. Man, the last month, God has really been brewing in me this new series called Virtue. Look at your neighbor and say, Virtue. Now obviously that's a spin on words. We we like to use the word virtue. That is that is a common word in our culture that, that's used a lot on the media, virtues and virtue signaling and all these different things that we throw around. But I believe that we serve a God that not is just a virtuous God, but he is a virtuous God, that he is the truth, that all true virtue flows from him. And so what we're gonna do this month is we're gonna do a little bit of heavy lifting. It's gonna be a little bit different than what we normally do. Uh, In fact, today we're going to be talking about the holiness of God. And uh, when we say that, we kind of freak out because we think that holiness means that God is distant from us, that God is is put away, that God is upset or he's frustrated, and and sadly, Church culture, historically, when we've used the word holiness, we've attached it to meanness, or we've attached it to how much makeup you can wear, or how tight your jeans can be, or how high your heels can be, or how, you know, or, or how mean-spirited you could act towards someone that you uh, don't like the way that their appearance is. Amen? And, but really, holiness is a heart issue. Come on. And it does exemplify itself in the way it lives. So we're gonna talk about holiness during this series. We're gonna talk about virtues. We're gonna talk about about uh values, we're gonna talk about, about our viewpoints, the Christian worldview. We're gonna dive into all that, but but as all series here at Overflow Church, we like to start it off talking about the nature of God. So there's a lot of talk about virtues in our culture, a lot of virtue signaling, a lot of hostility surrounding what is right and what is wrong, a lot of rage surrounding morality and virtues, and most of the time that's rooted in things like experience. Come on. It's rooted in events and people's lives. It's mostly rooted in our culture around emotions. Well, how I feel about it is. And how many know that your feeling doesn't always dictate the reality, right? Your feeling does not always reflect what reality is. Just because you feel that way doesn't mean that's the way it is. In fact, you need to line your emotions up with the truth of God's word. So as followers of God and worshipers of God, we get our views, our values, and our virtues from the truth of God's word, come on, and by the indwelling of the power of the Holy Spirit. So we talk about us being worshipers, worshipers of God. There's this great uh, picture of what worship looks like, the worship that's going on in heaven. That's been going. We read about this in Isaiah chapter 6, and then we get a glimpse of it again here in Revelation chapter 4. It says, in the center... And around the throne were four living beings. Now, these are creatures, okay? This is kind of bizarre. Each covered with eyes front and back. The first of these living beings, beings was like a lion. The second was, was like an ox. Notice all this kind of like language. Kind of like a lion, like an ox. The third was a human face. And the fourth was like an eagle in flight. Each of these living beings had six wings and their wings covered all over with eyes, inside and out. Kind of freaky, right? Like, so, like, like, are you sure you're caught up in a vision or are you on something? And then he says this, day, in, day after day and night after night, they kept on saying, holy, holy, holy. Yes. The only time we ever see God's a description of God repeated right here, holy, holy, holy. Is the Lord God Almighty, the one who always was, who is, and who is still to come. And whenever these living, now, the word holy we're going to talk about today, but how many know that these were some abstract beings saying, Whoa! I mean, they're wild looking. But they're looking at God and they're going, You're wild looking. Right? I mean, they're blown away. I mean, they're looking at it. I mean, if I was one of those living beings, I'd be going, You're wild. Other than you're odd, but they're blown away by the majesty of God. And whenever the living beings give glory and honor and thanks to the one who is sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders, there's all these elders, all these people, the 24 elders fall down and worship the one sitting at the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, and they lay their crowns before the throne. They lay all their achievements, all their, their, all their accomplishments, all the things that they've done in their lives, they lay it down at the throne and they say, you are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and they exist because you created what you pleased. So we have this picture of worship and the central picture of worship is God's holiness. They're saying, holy. We don't ever get that in scripture. We don't ever get uh, God is love, love, love. We don't get God is peace, peace, peace. We don't get God is grace, grace, grace. But with his holiness, we get it repeated. Holy, holy, holy. It's like they're looking at God and they're going, whoa. 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 And they're totally blown away. So the central characteristic of God is his holiness what makes God worthy of worship, what makes him worthy of honor and glory and the crowns and all that we can give him, what makes him worthy of all of it is his holiness. He is called holy or referred to as holy more than any other characteristic throughout the scriptures. It is central to God's core. And I'm afraid, beloved, that we have forgot, even sometimes in the church, how holy God is. We've flippantly used his name. So, what is holiness? What is holy? I'm glad you asked. The word holy is often described as the opposite of that which is common or profane, the opposite of that which is common. Or profane. The word holy seems a little abstract, doesn't it? When we say the word holy, what does that even mean? It's kind of abstract. It's kind of like God. It's, it's weird. It's kind of out there. Well, it's because it is abstract. Abstract. Holiness actually means abstract or unique. The primary meaning of holy is separate. It's the word kodosh. In the Hebrew language, that actually means to cut or to separate. It's like you have, you have a piece of cloth, and you, you cut away the best part, and you say, this is the holy part. So when the Bible calls God holy, it means primarily that God is transcendently separate. Transcendently other than. Different. So when we refer to God as holy, we're saying, you're totally different. Than anything I've ever seen, anything I've ever experienced, anything I've ever felt, holy. I'm blown away by it. He is so far above and beyond us that he seems almost foreign to us in his nature. Now hold with me. So, holy can mean other than, uncommon, or different. Other than, uncommon, or different. God is not common. That's why when we were given the commandments, it says don't use the Lord's name in vain. You can't use his name in vain because his name is not like other names. Moses sang it this way in Exodus chapter 15, he says, who among the gods is like you? And we say, well, what was he talking about? Well, he just came out of Egypt. God just delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt, and they were known to be idolaters. They, they worshiped all these different kinds of gods. He says, who among the gods is like you? You're totally different. Who is like you? Who is like you? Majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders. Who is like you? There's no one like you. I've searched, I've found, I've experienced, I've gone through, I've searched, I'm looking, I'm looking, I can't find anything. As holy as you. See, he is holy, holy. And we said holy, 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 but he is holy. He is completely holy. There's there's not one part in him that is unholy. There is no lack of holy in him. And because he is holy, he is unchanging. See, God doesn't change because He doesn't need to change. There's, there's not a, a measure that he, that he needs to come up to. Are you all right today? Come on. He has nothing to come up to or, or live up to. God, God doesn't have to meet a standard, He is the standard. And so when we talk about the virtues of God, when we talk about His grace, It's a holy grace. It's not like the grace that I'll give my kids whenever I show up and give them something that they don't deserve. We were on our trip this week. I had to run into Walmart and get some water. And when I was in there, uh, I bought some little, I think it was Walmart or went across the street. One of the RV parks, there were so many experiences. And And I bought the kids something at the store. And I took them, not because they were so well-behaved or so deserving of me buying them this little treat, this little 35 cent treat at the store, just because I'm a gracious dad, so I wanted to get them a little something, just out of my goodness. But that fails so in comparison to the grace of God, because God's grace is an uncommon grace. It's, it's a, it's a grace that's different than any grace that you could ever explain. His, His justice is beyond any justice that you can imagine. His mercy is beyond any mercy. You think mercy, you think you're merciful. God is, God is million times more merciful than you. When you think about his joy, we think, oh man, i am experienced the joy of the Lord. Listen, the joy of the Lord is infinitely more joyful than you can imagine. It's a different level of joy. Not just, not just a different next level, like a different level, like a different reality kind of joy. It's a different kind of peace. It's an uncommon peace. It's an uncommon joy. It's an uncommon grace. And listen, all his ways are totally uncommon. It is unlike anything that we've ever seen or experienced. And so whenever we try to use human illustrations and words, they all fall short because it's all common. It's something we know that we're trying to describe something that is totally foreign to us. God is really out there. However, he is relational. He is mighty as Job says, he is mighty, but he's does not despise us. And let me say this, beloved, his love is holy See, it's not like the love that we know, not like you love pizza or or you love your bestie or even your spouse and your kids. And you you do love them dearly. And those are great and virtuous, but they fell short in comparison to his love. His love is holy. His love is so extreme. It's so radical. You can't even imagine it. It is a radical love. We try to make him like us, but listen, when we try to make him like us, we distort our view of his holiness. He is not like you. You were made in his likeness, but it is, but it is such a failed comparison. His love is a holy love. His, this, is how, this is how holy love looks. Holy love says, while we were sinners... While we were enemies of God, while we were in rebellion, while we rejected God's laws, when we rejected his love, when we rejected his nudging this week, he still loved us. And there's nothing you ever did to deserve a radical love like this. You could not earn this love. It is is so big and so vast and so extreme. You could never do anything to earn it. You could never do anything, but he loves you still. It's a holy love. While we were sinners, the complete opposite of holiness, Christ died. Christ died for us. So the Father is holy. The Spirit is, well, the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and the Son, Jesus, is holy. See, many, many have, have uh, tried to tame down the holiness of Jesus. Oh, man, what I like about Jesus is he's just an ordinary dude. Nope. Not an ordinary dude. Don't throw him in the camp of Buddha and all these other philosophers. Jesus is God in the flesh. What was attractive about Jesus is that he was unlike anyone the world had ever seen. He was totally uncommon. This is what drew. In fact, Peter says this in John chapter six, verse sixty-nine. All the disciples were leaving. Jesus was teaching, and they were like, "Man, we don't like this. This is holy teaching. We don't really, we don't really get this." So they're all, they're all leaving, and he and he looks at Peter, and he's like, he's like Peter, and he looks to the other disciples. And he's like, well, "Were you, you guys going to leave too?" And they're like, "Well, Lord, where else are we going to go? You alone have the words of life." And then Peter says this. He says, "We believe and we know that you are the holy one of God." We believe and we know we've experienced your holiness. We know that you are the Holy One of God. See, Jesus is not a puppet to simply promote niceness and tolerance. And this is what culture has done. This is what sometimes segments of the church have done is we've used Jesus as this this little puppet, as this little sounding board to promote niceness and tolerance. Is Jesus nice and tolerant? Yes, yes, yes he is but he is not a puppet to propagate our agenda. Someone to quote Jesus, and they they choose certain things that Jesus said in order to propagate an agenda, yet ignore most of what he said. Isn't it interesting that ungodly people that don't even know Jesus, that aren't in a relationship with Jesus, like to quote Jesus to promote their agenda? Does that bother anybody else? It bothers me because you are taking a holy man and you're making him common to suit your needs beloved that is idolatry are you okay i'm not mad i'm super excited so what is jesus cuz i mean even the world even people that don't that aren't in relationship with jesus they like to use jesus to promote their virtues isn't it correct I mean Jesus was a good moral man. Even even if they say, Well, Jesus, and let me just say this, if Jesus was a good moral man, then he was evil because he lied about being the Son of God. And he lied about being the way, the truth, and life. So he couldn't simply be a good moral man or he was immoral, according to what he said. But many the world will say, Oh yeah, Jesus, I'll quote Jesus. Hey, it fits it fits my agenda, so I'll quote Jesus, I'll meme Jesus. So what does Jesus say about virtues? When we talk about virtues, essentially, we're talking about morality. Aren't we? So it's interesting, the one that will be held eternally accountable for our morality, is interesting, and it would be wise of us to figure out what he says about morality if he is the measuring stick. Amen? So Mark chapter 12, you guys okay? And we're going to listen, we're digging deep into this this month. Some of you are like, oh, man, I think I'm going to visit another church. <laughs> Listen, Mark chapter 12. Beloved, would we love everything that Jesus says? If we are his followers, then let's follow every, every, every breath that he breathes. Mark chapter 12, verse 28. One of the teachers of the religious law was standing there listening to the debate, and when he realized Jesus had answered well, so Jesus is debating. Oh, What? Jesus didn't hide from tension. He realized that Jesus answered well, so he asked him, of all the commands, Jesus, of all the commands, I'm an expert in the law, I know all of these things, which is the most important? And Jesus replied, the most important command is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. Only one. And you must love, must, not try, right. not attempt. You must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. We have this, this thing that we go through with our kids when we're delivering them to school. <laughs> delivering. Driving them to school. We make these little declarations. We pray over them, and we end the prayer. We say, and today I declare... I'm going to love the Lord with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, and with all my strength, and love my neighbor as myself. This is what Jesus is sounding out. And he says the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other command, no other commandment is greater than these. The teachers of the religious law replied, well said. (laughs) Even the religious agreed with Jesus good job Jesus <laughs> you have spoken the truth by saying that there is only one God and no other <clears throat> and I know that it is important to love him with all my heart and all my understanding and all my strength and to love my neighbor as myself this is more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifice required by the law and realizing how much the man understood Jesus says to him you are not far from the kingdom of God And after that, no one dared ask him another question. See, there is this claim in our culture that says you don't have to believe in God to be a good person. And most of us, when I even said that, you said, yeah, that's true. You don't have to believe in God to be a good person. Well, I know this. You can believe in God and be evil. James says that even the demons believe and tremble. They even recognize the holiness of God. So I know you can believe in God and be evil, but can you believe in God or not believe in God and be a good person? And so what we do in our culture, in our society, is that we, we take this second command where Jesus says, love your neighbor, and we use that as the measuring stick for morality for virtues. Okay. And we've seen this meme before and I love this meme. Okay. Are you ready? Do we have that little meme? Here it is. How many of you guys have seen this before? It's great. It's all over the internet. So popular. It's way more popular than the first commandment. Love thy neighbor. Your homeless neighbor, your Muslim neighbor, your black neighbor, your gay neighbor, your white neighbor, your Jewish neighbor, your Christian neighbor, your atheist neighbor, your racist neighbor, your addicted neighbor. Love your Democrat neighbor and your Republican neighbor. I mean, the list can go on. Just love your neighbor. Whoever is next to you, whoever is in front of you, love your neighbor. I love that message. But just because you love the people around you does not make you a good person. You can be considered good socially, but not good morally. So can you be a good social citizen, a good neighbor, and not believe in God? Yes, you can be socially good, but you cannot be morally good before a God who is holy without keeping the first commandment that says to love the Lord, your God, with all of your heart with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all your strength. And I'm sorry, Sam Harris, famous atheist, who says, "There's, tell me what you can do that I can't do as an atheist that you can do as a Christian. Well, first of all, you can't love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You can't do that if you don't believe in him, brother. And he is the standard of morality. So can you be virtuous and not believe in God? You can be socially good, and you should be socially good. But you cannot be morally good, beloved, without keeping the first commandment. And let me say this you can't keep the first commandment and not keep the second one. You can keep the second one, you can love your neighbor without loving God, but you can't love God without loving your neighbor. Let me say this you can't love God and hate your enemy. I would throw it, but you know. <laughs> Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 to love your enemies, to do good to those that persecute you, do good to those that disagree with you, who despise you, who reject you. According to Jesus, we are morally bankrupt if we ignore the first commandment. If you're under 30, this is probably the first time you've heard this. You can, let me say this again. We need to love our neighbors. <laughs> if we're not loving our neighbors, if we're not loving the people in front of us, if we're not loving our community, if we're, not, if we're not being humanitarian, then we are not keeping the first commandment. But sadly, many are keeping the second commandment and claiming virtue, claiming morality, but ignoring the first. And they are unholy before, an, uh, before a holy God. And what we're talking about today and what Jesus is talking about is what I like to call holistic Holiness. That's a kind of a kind of a word that we use. Holistic. You guys know what a holistic means? Holistic means total completeness. So God is holistically holy. Everything about him is holy. And he's calling us through the great command to holistically walk in holiness. Holistic holiness. Heart level. Remember when Jesus says, They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me? Yeah. Right? That's not holistic holiness. Because they're doing a little lip service. They're doing actions. They're doing deeds. But their hearts are far from him. Holistic holiness. Heart. Soul. Intention. Drive. Emotionally. Come on. Mind. The way that you think. The things that you think upon. Come on. And strength. Your ability. Your power. Your might. Are you loving God with everything in your being? Are you holistically holy? So the biblical standard of virtue is holiness. You want to be good? You want to be considered good before God? I'm not talking about what people think because when you die, it's not going to matter. But what does God think? If you want to be considered virtuous before God, then the path is holiness. 1 Peter 1.15. Y'all okay today? I know I'm preaching hard. It's just okay. You're all right. Everybody touch your neighbor and say, It's okay. He loves you. (laughs) So does the pastor. (laughs) Okay. Just, 1 Peter 1.15, just as he who called you is holy, God is the one that called you, so be holy in all you do. Notice he didn't say do holy in all you do. He said be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Holiness. See, we must partake in God's holiness to be holy. And let me say this. There's a lot of self-righteousness in our culture. There's a lot in the church. There's a lot outside of the church. There's virtue signaling saying, whoa, you, if you want to be right, then you need to do this and you need to do that and, and all these other things. And if you were a good person, you would do this. Listen, Jesus opposed self-righteousness in any form. People think, well, Jesus just came to oppose the religious. No, get this. Jesus came to oppose self-righteousness righteousness in any form. Remember, there's a rich rich young ruler. He wasn't religious. In fact, he came to Jesus' humility, and Jesus said, hey, listen, you got to go get rid of everything if you want to follow me, because all that's standing in the way. And what happened? He went away sad because he wasn't willing to give it up for Jesus. He had a self-righteousness. Jesus pulled every self-righteousness. The reason uh, poor and broken people accepted him because they recognized their need for him. If you don't need Jesus you are morally bankrupt it says in Romans 3:10 there is none righteous no not even one here's what Jesus says i have not called i have not come to call not those who think they are righteous let me read that again i have come to call not those who think they are righteous Not who brag about their deeds or take a selfie when they're feeding the homeless. I didn't come to call those who think that they're righteous, well, I'm a good person. I didn't come to claim those who says they're a good person, look at my deeds. No, 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 no. I've come to those who know they are sinners and need to repent. So we don't come to Jesus with our accomplishments and our accolades and saying, I love my neighbor as ourself. No, no, no. No, no, We come to Jesus and we go, I know that I'm a sinner, Lord. Now, when you come to him, he changes that nature. Come on. You become a saint. But we don't come to him with accolades. We come to him going, I am unrighteous in my own. You say, what is self-righteousness? Self-righteousness is any righteousness that can be claimed without God's grace. Let me say that again because I want this to soak in. Self-righteousness is any righteousness, anything that we do that is quote-unquote right or moral or what we would call morally good that can be claimed without God's grace. I'm a good person because I did A, B, and C. That's self-righteousness. It's quiet in here. Except for Benny. Thanks, Benny. I have not not come to call, not those, I have not come, (laughs) I have come to call, not those who think they are righteous, but those who know that they are sinners and need to repent. And obviously when we repent, he brings us into the kingdom, he calls us a saint, and we're good. So we need to embrace God's virtues in the spirit of holiness. We need to embrace holiness. Doesn't mean that you walk around with a holier-than-attitude or you're mean to people because if you're mean to people and calling that holiness, that's not holiness. If you're not tender to people, if you're not gracious to people, that's not holiness. If, If it doesn't look like Jesus, it's not holiness. Jesus showed us that holiness is relational. Jesus went out and ate. With sinners and prostitutes. Have conversations with them. And he did have an agenda, by the way. You with me? Embracing holiness. How do we do that? Just two points today. Number one, yield to God's righteousness. See, righteousness and holiness are different. Some of you are confused on this. Righteousness means right standing. Right standing before God. It means you're right with God. You don't you don't get right with God by doing right things. That's not how you get righteous. You can you can go out and do all you can go out and and give all your money away to the poor. You can go out and take care of all the orphans. You can go and build a a camp for the the refugees, and you can go and build a camp for the homeless. You can do all the humanity. You can cure AIDS. You can do all that that stuff and not be righteous. None of those things make you righteous. You cannot sin for the rest of your life, and you're still not righteous. In fact, Isaiah says your righteousness is like filthy rags. David understood it this way who may ascend to the hill of the Lord, who may stand in his holy place, he who has clean hands and a pure heart, he who's righteous. Now, who's righteous? Who in the room is righteous? You can raise your hand if you've accepted God's righteousness. In fact, God has declared, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, God who made him who had no sin to be sin for us, So that in him, everybody say in him, in him, we might become the righteousness of God. So how do we become righteous? By doing things? No, by accepting what Jesus did. By embracing what Jesus did. Have you done that? If you stood before God today, this is an old little thing that people have used to share the gospel, but I think it's very accurate. If you stood before God, today, and he said, why should I let you into heaven? What would your answer be? Most of us would say something like, well, I'm a pretty good dad and made good grades in school. Most of them, except for science. Right? Was a good person or provided. We talk about all of our social values, how we connect with humanity. But the answer on why you should be led into heaven is because of what Jesus did for you. Because you deserve to be in heaven, not because of what you did, but because of what Jesus did. And you are now clothed with the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You are as righteous as God is in Christ. It's good news. It's real good news. Because you can't earn it. You don't deserve it. But he gives it to you. If you'll receive it. See, Jesus came and got his hands dirty to get our hearts clean. (laughs) He came and got his hands dirty. Right? Under the old covenant, you touch unclean things, you become unclean. In the new covenant, a clean thing touches an unclean thing, and the unclean thing becomes clean. So Jesus, what he did is he got his hands dirty in order to get our hearts clean. That's the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Jesus came for you because he loved you out of his holy love. And he said, I love you. I'm so, you're so different than I originally planned for you to be. You've totally screwed up your life. But I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. You'll never understand. You'll pray. You'll get a a little more and then you're, you're blown away the next day. But I've come to give you this gift of righteousness, So you can stand before my heavenly father and you could be clean and pure in his sight. So how do we embrace holiness? First of all, as we yield to his righteousness, you don't earn his righteousness. You give yourself to it. And number two, you commit to sanctification. Everybody say sanctification. Now, sanctification is different than righteousness. Holiness is different than righteousness. Sanctification is, is basically progressing progressively growing in a life that is set apart for God. Remember that word holiness means set apart. So sanctification is the process of us giving ourselves in separation unto God. And that doesn't happen overnight. When you come to Jesus, you you don't become sinless, but you do sin less right? And if you're not sinning less now than when you came to Jesus and sanctification isn't happening in your life. Many of us, what happens, we come to God, we get hot for God, we burn for God and we have all these convictions. And then as time grows, our convictions damper, we become more worldly. That is not sanctification. That is worldliness. God says, come from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Hebrews 10, 14, by one sacrifice he is made perfect forever. Ooh. By one sacrifice, what sacrifice? The sacrifice of Jesus. By one sacrifice, he is made perfect forever. Those who are being made holy. Or those who are being sanctified. That means your life is progressively, progressively being given over to God. Your light shines brighter. Now than it did last year. You have more victory in your life than you did last week. Why? Because you're giving yourself. You're committed to God's process of sanctification. He is making you like Jesus. And you're not there yet, but you're growing and you're committed to the process. And it's hard and it's difficult and trials come and you dig through it. And man, it's in there, but you're committed to it. Holiness is not an eviction. It's an invitation. So God doesn't look at you and say, man, you really screwed up today. You're out. Holiness is not an eviction. It's an invitation. Come from among them and be separate. Be devoted to me. Holistic holiness. All your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. None of us can claim that we love God that much. Will they love God with all their heart? No, they don't. But But if they're like 60%, that's really good. But next week, it needs to be 65%. Are you with me? Holiness is not something, this is important, holiness is not something that people do, but something that God does in them. Holiness is the work of the Holy Spirit making you more like Jesus. And our tendency is this, is when we do something that we want to do for pleasure, for sinful pleasures, we turn off Holy Spirit. We say, nope, I want to ignore you today because I want to look more like me than I want to look like Jesus. So how do we do that? How do we embrace holiness? We're, we're going we're to dig into this a little bit because it has a lot to do with our values. It has a lot to do with our views. First of all, stop making excuses for your sin. Well, I was raised in oh, it's an addiction, or oh. Stop making excuses. Don't go well. You know, <laughs> just stop. Clean your mouth up. You know, what's funny. I, I never struggled with with cussing when I got around my dad. Never. Heck no. People are like, oh, quick cuss. But you didn't do that when you're in front of someone you respected. And I, I think cussing's like the biggest deal in the world. But, but come on. Seriously? Like, you're, you're entitled to something so little? Listen, stop making light of your sin. If you're living in sexual immorality, don't make light of it. Well, I really love the person. I don't want to love them. Stop making light of it. Repent. Come to God. Ask him to cleanse you of that impurity. If you're looking at pornography on the internet, stop. Stop making light of it. It is sin. It's a stench in the nostrils of God. He still loves you. He still wants you. He wants that area of your life, but stop it. Stop being mean-spirited and bitter. Stop. Because it's a stench in the nostrils of God. Devote yourself to pursuing holiness. Understand that God doesn't want to evict you from his presence. He wants to bring you in. He wants you to look like Jesus out of a love-filled heart. He's not mad or frustrated or irritated at you. He just wants you to be who you were designed to be. So this is the call today. Some of you need to give yourself over today to God's righteousness. You've been doing it on your own. You've been, you've been trying to be a good person. You've been trying to do all this stuff. But you've never really yielded yourself to the righteousness of God. You've been doing it on your own. You've been doing your works. You've been doing your thing. I get it. But you're doing it all to get God's favor. You're doing it all so at the end of your life you can go, God, We're good, right? Rather than coming and saying, God, I receive the perfect gift of Jesus to cleanse me of all my sin, all my unrighteousness, all of my unholiness. Would you cleanse me from it? And from this day forward, and that's the second part, that you'll commit to the process of sanctification. When sin shows up at your door, you're able to say no to it. When compromise, Listen, we're not even talking about sin per se. It could just be compromise. There's things that you do in your life that you just need to cut out just simply so you'll be devoted more to God. It's not even a sinful thing, but you just need to quit doing it. Not because it's sinful, but just because you need to be more devoted to God and that's a distraction.